welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello and welcome back to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. It's Jessica and it is 2018. Welcome to our season opener of season three of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. I have an incredible episode for you today and I can't wait to share it with you. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas season. I definitely did. I really tried to spend more time disconnecting from the outside world and focusing in on my inside world and my inner circle and that really did well for my soul. So I hope that you had a wonderful season as well and I'm just eager to bring you some amazing guests for this new year. I have an incredible, incredible lineup coming. So let's just go ahead and get to our first episode with our guest, Lena Schwinn. Lena's been on my radar for quite some time now and she is an extraordinary mom of four, including twins who had a prolonged stay in the NICU, resulting in some special needs ultimately. What she manages to juggle is incredible. Not only that, she comes from a broken home and she's going to talk about how her upbringing impacted her motherhood journey, what that looks like for her. You guys, she's incredible. You're going to love our conversation today and yeah, let's just get to it with Lena Schwinn. All right. I want to welcome Lena Schwinn today. Hi, Lena. Hey, Jessica. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, well, we are recording this before the holidays, but technically when this airs, it's the new year. So happy 2018. Happy new year. (laughs) Let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, Well, I'm really so thrilled to be talking with you about your journey today, both your life story as well as how that's contributed to your motherhood journey. Um, I've had many people talk so highly of you, so it's really a pleasure to get to talk with you today. It's a pleasure for me, too. I've been listening to your podcast for over a year now, and I remember I first found it, and there was a a gal on who was a Mom of the Month award winner, Mm -hmm. and she, I want to say she she had diabetes while she was pregnant, Mm -hmm. and I had a client at the time who'd just been diagnosed with diabetes while she was pregnant, and I thought, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to learn a little bit more about this so I can help her. And I got hooked. I've been listening to you ever since. Oh, well, that's so nice. I'm glad that could be helpful. That's awesome. And you recently nominated somebody for a Mom of the Month award, too. And she won, right? I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. Full circle. I love it. Well, for people that may not know you, Lena, will you just give a little background um, on who you are? Yeah, absolutely. I am a mom. I am uh, let's see, we live in the Washington, D.C. metro area now, but I grew up in Southern California um, near Anaheim. I was born in Anaheim and grew up in Orange County. And I come from a really big, very stereotypical Italian family. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you can picture that from the movies, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> Loud, big holidays at Christmas and Easter. I mean, the whole thing. And I just, I love my upbringing. Uh, My parents are incredible, but they struggled in their relationship at a young age when they were married at 20. And so they got divorced pretty early on. I think I was only like 18 months old. Mm. 
and from then on out, they've both struggled in their relationships. And between the two of them, there've been a whole handful of divorces. And so that experience from a young age kind of led me down the path to, um, to be probably a little stronger than a kid my age would be at that time, just because I had to face some, some difficulties just, you know, at a young age. So Mm -hmm. in the end, I, have always been on the hunt to find obviously the man of my dreams, but more importantly, uh, find a really solid relationship and, and break that pattern of of unhealthy relationships. So my upbringing was maybe a little non-traditional, but we still kept all of those really incredible Italian traditions intact. And, uh, there's a lot of love there and lots of love, lots of happy, exciting things. So I've lived in Italy. I've traveled. I've served a mission for my church in Italy. I've, I've been able to do some really exciting things with, with the Italian culture. And my uncle right now is the mayor of Florence. So I still have like a lot of ties to to Italy, which is exciting. That is really cool. Yeah, it was, it's really super fun. And I ended up teaching high school. I was so inspired when I served a mission in Italy by the history and by the art and everything that I took in there that I ended up getting my teaching degree in history and, and specifically world history. I taught AP history in Salt Lake City, Utah for almost a decade. And it was a fabulous experience. I learned so much from the kids and so much from the parents. And all throughout that time, I was coaching cheer, which was another (laughs) fun experience. And I grew a lot there. And I went on to have four incredible little boys. And it's kind of funny because through those years of coaching cheer, I kept having boys. And I thought, (laughs) oh, gosh, maybe God knows in some way I've had I've had paid my dues with girls with all the drama of (laughs) yes Yes, but it was so fun we did competitive cheer and competed and it was just a really neat experience to to get involved with the school and after um I was pregnant with my my twins I ended up quitting I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit but Mm -hmm. I ended up having to leave my career and that was an easy choice at the time because my boys needed me desperately to take care of them um but up until then I I never thought I would leave my career so that was an interesting transition for sure sure absolutely yeah can we revisit growing up in a home with multiple divorces I have lots of friends really bogged down right now by divorces in their own families and struggling to be there for their kids. And and so based upon your experience, what would you tell somebody who is trying to make the best of a really hard situation? Divorce is never ideal, um, but sometimes it, it happens. It does. And that's a reality. And that's a challenge that you're going to face sometimes. And how can you make the most and best of it for your kids? What do you wish was done differently or what was done to kind of help you through that? Yeah, no, I I appreciate that question. I think it's so true that every family looks different and no, you know, no fa- no two families are exactly the same, but for for ours growing up, it was difficult. It was really hard emotionally. I felt um so different than a lot of my friends. Maybe mm-hmm. today it's a little bit more common, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. growing up I just I felt so different. I was always very um, envious of my friends who had a mom and a dad that stayed together and that they got to eat dinner together um, and be together as a family through the holidays. And I, to be honest, I still struggle with it a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 
it's kind of hard to explain, but basically what I've taken away from it is that there were people that God sent to me in my life that served as angels, right? They, they came in and they, they showed me that life could be different or they, um, like my grandmother, I'm very, very close with my Nona and she and I have this bond uh, where she sort of instilled in me this belief that it didn't have to be this way mm-hmm. and that for for my future family that things could look different. And so I always kind of relied on that. Her and my grandfather were married for over 50 years before he passed, and she's still alive. She's my last living grandparent, and her and I are still best friends. And mm-hmm. um, she's just taught me everything, how to cook, how to clean, how to, you know, just live live a good life. And I feel like you got to hold on to those precious relationships that you have with those who inspire you and those who connect with you at that young age or throughout your experiences. You're living at home through a broken home that you kind of have to have to hold on to those. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I like what you said that it continues to be a struggle and it's still not always easy. But look at the life that you do have, Lena. Like, look how stable your relationship is. It doesn't mean just because you've experienced divorce in your past and some instability in that and some challenges that come with that, that you can't ultimately have a full and thriving life, even with that challenge that will always exist in your life. And so that's really hopeful, I think. Yeah. I I, I mean, we definitely struggle. My husband and I, our relationship isn't perfect. Yeah. Um, He also comes from an extremely broken home with lots and lots of divorces. And it's really interesting to see the development over the course of, let's see, we've been married 12 years now, just how how the struggles have come up and different things we've faced and how we've been able to tackle those trials and looking at it from a partnership rather than trying to fall back on traditions we've seen from our past and Mm. what our parents have done and nothing honestly bad to our parents. We have great parents. It's just that, you know, things happen and, uh, and patterns happen, you know? Yeah, no, I love how highly you're speaking of both of your parents, um, but acknowledging the challenge that is, you know, and the facts. And so I think that's really powerful. No, that does really help. I think that'll give a lot of people a lot of hope that they're not, ruining their child's life or anything like that but there are things that you can do just continue to love and support them through that realizing this is a part of their story now so what can you do with it yeah yeah absolutely you faced another really really difficult challenge in your teenage years you lost a dear friend tell me how that impacted the way you kind of viewed your life and and the vision for your future yeah, Jessica, you're so good. You're like, Oprah, you're going to make yeah. me cry. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. You're picking on all the good topics yeah. here. I love it. Yes, I do. My very, very dear, one of my very best friends in high school was killed in a drunk driving accident. And it was a real struggle. It stopped me in my tracks that day. I'll never forget it. And I remember just moving forward from there. It felt like I was walking through someone else's life those first few years. I just, I didn't know how to live. I felt a lot of guilt for um, maybe not being in the car with her, not being able to help. Or There's all sorts of things that your mind does to you when, when something like that so tragic can happen. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've been able to take away a lot of really incredible life lessons from her passing. 
Um, not to say that if she were here, I wouldn't have learned those lessons in other ways, but it's been really powerful to see the impact that her life has made online and especially her passing, just because you can see such value in, um, excuse me, I'm trying to like not cry over here. It's okay. Um, you can see that there is a lot of value in having a relationship with someone and loving them with all of your heart and all of your mind to then not have them anymore. It helps you to reflect. It helps you to really sit back and think about what was it that this person gave to you and how can you take the tools and the lessons and experiences you had with them and have that carry you through. This experience led me down a path to really finding God and finding faith Mm -hmm. and understanding a lot more about the purpose of life and sort of what I could, what I could bring into my future family that would make me a better mom, a better wife, a better friend, a better daughter by acknowledging the the tragedy that has happened with her and sort of taking that and, and making my life better because of it. Mm. I hear you. I had a dear friend pass away um, when I was 14 years old. She was a few years younger of a brain tumor. And I remember her talking to me about how she wasn't afraid to die. And as a, you know, a preteen teenager, like I didn't get that. Like how, how could you not want to live? And it's not that she didn't want to live. Didn't, it's not that she didn't want to have all of those things that everyone wants to experience in life. But it's a matter of having that peace that comes from faith alone that regardless of what happens on this side it's going to be okay eternally and so I totally get yeah. what you're saying and to walk that path kind of alone right in finding yeah. that faith on your own and it doesn't make it any easier no it I just mean, certainly can, does not we can say all day that we have faith that everything's going to be okay until we're blue in the face mm-hmm. but to live it and especially for for those in my in my life now moms that I've come to love. In fact, the, the gal that you interviewed for mom of the month, when she was my neighbor, her, her daughter passed away and she honestly, her story is just so inspiring, but those women, those mothers and those, even my friend's mom growing up, my heart goes out to them because we can say it all day long that faith is going to help us and faith is going to make us better. But the truth of the matter is they're struggling every day and, and time is supposed to heal all wounds. But I really think in this case, when you lose a child, I'm not sure that ever goes away. Mm, no, definitely and not. I, and in hearing, Oh, there's a reason it'll be okay. You know, that, that's not helpful. You need to say, right. I'm sorry. This must be right. the worst. I'm so and I'm sorry. Just, I was mm-hmm. just the friend of this person. She sure. was a dear friend. And I think the hardest part was the age I was, right? It was, sure. I was just so impressionable. I was afraid to drive my car. I was uh, just, you know, looking at her her life and going to her house afterwards or mm-hmm. driving by her parking space at school or her locker. All those things were just really, really difficult for me because it was so sudden. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry for that loss that yeah had to really rock you at that time and, and continues to be a part of your story and, and continues to impact you um but I love how you are turning it into something that has turned very positive for you and how it's changed the trajectory of your life it's because of her you know Absolutely. so oh Absolutely. man and so you know going through all these divorces growing up that instability you know god bless your grandmother what a wonderful thing that she was yes. in your life that is 
that's an amazing relationship to have. And then this loss. You went into motherhood with what kind of perspective? Were you a little bit nervous that you would be able to break these cycles and to, you know, be confident in that? Or how did any of this impact early motherhood for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I was terrified to have Mm. kids. Terrified. I grew up an only child until I was 14 and I have one sister. And so I, I had a lot to myself, but I also didn't have a lot of interaction with other kids, you know, in the home. I didn't have babies to, to help out with. I, when I got to the point of, of thinking about motherhood, I was just petrified that I would be no good at it. I, I didn't, really like babysitting growing up. <laughs> I wasn't one to, you know, change my niece or nephew's diapers. Like I just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just yeah. didn't have that motherly instincts in the beginning. And, um, and so my husband and I waited a good five years before we started having kids. And, uh, at that point <laughs> it was just a whirlwind, you know, when you have your own, it's just so different. Uh-huh. They never go home. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, when do I get to hand them back to somebody else? I'm really, really tired. Or, oh, and then when you get sick, like I got mastitis, and you're just like, I just need to oh. hand them over to somebody. But they're mine. They're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Yes. That's right. Yes, and it's the most special thing and also just the hardest thing. And so how did you evolve in that from, you know, being terrified but then to to doing it? You were doing it. You were living through it. And then you got pregnant with twins. Yeah, How you know what? That? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like baptism by fire. Yes, right? yes. Just my first one was born, and I was like, okay, here we go. They sent us home from the hospital, and I just thought, what have I gotten myself into? Mm-hmm. And my mom had gone home uh, pretty soon after my my little guy was born, and she came back about six weeks later to help and you know help me out with the house and things like that. And I remember when she came back, I held my chest high, and I was just like, I got this. Like she walked in thinking. I would be in the same state as when she left, which was a total mess. I was crying on the floor. Don't leave me. I don't know what I'm doing. Just like you, the issues with your milk and, and yeah. soreness. I had a C-section and all of that. And so um, when she came back, I was just so proud that like I did it. You know, yeah. I did it by myself. My husband was in school. It was great. <laughs> That's amazing. What a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, and then you had some twins. Tell me about that journey. That was a little little hiccup in the in the journey. Tell me <laughs> tell me more about that, yes, Lena. Yes, unexpected, but you know, uh, delightful in the end. It was sure. it was a uh, it was for sure our we call it BT. So before twins and AT after twins. Gotcha, gotcha. Because, <laughs> because everything that day for our family changed. And I I think I mentioned I was teaching high school. I was actually right in the middle of a school day and I kind of felt some some cramps and I was 26 weeks pregnant at the time. And I mentioned to the teacher next door, one of my dear friends, I said, hey, could you just unlock my door after lunch? I'm going to pop over across the street to uh, my doctor's office and just kind of have her check it out. And she said, sure. So I thought I'd be back in about 30, 45 minutes. And turns out when I got to the doctor's office, she said I was in labor. I was dilated to a seven and a hundred percent effaced. I was honestly, I had no idea. I, my cramps were not intense at all. Wow. And so she sent me down to labor and delivery and they hooked me up and 
I remember the NICU doctors came in, the neonatologists walked in my room and they said, Hey, so what happened? And I said, I don't know. I've just, I've been teaching and well, they're like, have you been on your feet a lot? And I was like, yeah, like that's what I do. I, I stand all day and I've, I coach in the evenings. And so I'm, I'm standing on my feet for a lot of the day. And they're like, well, you're pregnant with twins. Like you need to take it easy. And honestly, I didn't know that I went into thinking, went into twin pregnancy thinking it would be just like when I was pregnant with a singleton. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. looking back, obviously I should have been more mindful of that, but I was healthy and I felt great and I delivered my first full term. So I just never imagined there would be complications. I don't think anybody that goes into preterm labor has any idea that it's coming. And so I was laying in that bed and I, I heard this doctor tell me that this is, and he kind of outlined for me the steps, like this is what's going to happen. And these are the types of procedures our kids are going to have. And these are the things that could possibly go wrong with them. And I remember I just sunk deep into this bed. My husband hadn't gotten to the hospital yet. It was like, it was almost like I was living in another world. I just saw myself from above the bed. Like, Mm. is this my life? Is this, how is this possible? What did I do? You know, all those feelings of blame come into my mind again. And, and I just felt so helpless. Helpless is the perfect word to describe that scenario. I felt helpless. And so I just said, is there anything we can do to hold this off? He's like, well, there's this drug called nifedipine. It can basically calm your uterus down so that you won't contract as often, but you are dilated and they're very small. And my baby A, which is my Luca, his baby, his sack was already coming out. Oh and my so, gosh, Lena. I know. I know so it was scary. so intense. And so when, um, when they we, they had me hooked up to everything, I was on that nifedipine for a good nine days. And by um, by the ninth, end of the ninth day, which just happened to be Halloween, um, they said, you know, your, your, your body's not responding well to this medication anymore. We can't stop the labor at this point. You're already to a 10. I'm like, just sew me up, sew me shut, like do yeah. anything. Like, I, you know, I wasn't ready and I knew they weren't ready to come out. And so... Um, and this is just a silly Italian superstition. I was like, hey, is there any way we can wait until after midnight? Because <laughs> my family's superstitious if they have a baby on Halloween. <laughs> I don't know how my Nona's going to feel about that. And so they're like, okay, so right after midnight, oh my they gosh. went in. And the babies were fine. They had great heartbeats. Everything looked great in the ultrasound. So when they wheeled me in, it was almost like it felt like an emergency all of a sudden. It was about 1 or 2 a.m. I can't remember exact time. But my doctor looked at me and she was like, baby B doesn't look good. And I just, I was like, wait, he was fine just a minute ago. And um, they wheeled me in. And and before I could even think twice, I was getting, you know, cut open and everything was happening so fast. And sure enough, they pulled out baby A, who was my Luca, and he just looked super swollen, but he let out a little cry. And so I was all excited. They passed him through the window over to the NICU and baby B, it just took so long to get him out. And that's Mm -hmm. Mateo. And Mateo, when they finally got him out, he, he didn't have a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. He, he was completely limp. 
And they had him, they passed him through the window and they put him on life support right away. Um, but I didn't get to see him. I didn't get to interact with them. Basically, I was just up in my room after they sewed me up. I went upstairs. It was a good six hours I was there. Oh. And every time someone came in the room, I was like, can I please go see my babies? I just want to see my babies. And sure enough, <laughs> as soon as the last one left, I said to my husband, I'm going downstairs. Like, I know where it is. I'm just going to walk down. He's like, you can't walk right now. And so he got me a wheelchair and wheeled me down and they didn't expect me. And I understood now why they were, Mm. um, were holding me off. There were all these people in, in the room with my boys and they were over the top of my little Mateo and they had all the, the pick line going in and they were just, just trying to keep that little boy alive and it was a struggle and then my sweet Luca had a terrible bacterial infection and that was the reason why I'd, I'd been in labor the whole time they tested my placenta and found out that if it would have been about another 20 to 24 hours they both wouldn't have made it they were terribly sick so wow. yeah it was oh, a traumatic first experience to their you. life yeah, and that just must have been torture, just wanting to see them and, I mean, let alone hold them. But, I mean, just you need that reassurance as a mom. Like, that's that's your payout is seeing them and holding them. But you didn't have yeah. that. That is so no. hard. And so, It was a struggle, for what, sure. We what, didn't get what, to hold them for about a month after that, too. I mean, they were super, super sick. Oh, yeah, so what were those days like before you could hold them? What – what did they say about your boys? So in the beginning, we just didn't know if they were um, they were going to make it, right? Mm-hmm. So those first, I would say, good two weeks, um, it was it was real touch and go. It was, and I don't remember all the names to to everything that they mm-hmm. went through, like all the different procedures in the beginning. But they definitely were on life support and then high flow oxygen. And obviously, they had very underdeveloped lungs. But they really struggled with their intestinal tract, and they uh, necrotizing endocolitis is one of the highest. Um, killers of preemie babies and unfortunately one of my sons had a terrible neck scare so there was all this stuff involved with keeping them alive and then at a certain point they finally allowed um allowed me to hold them which is about a month into their stay and all throughout their four months that they were in the NICU it was just it was no one ever gave us hope does that make sense no one ever said hey on a certain day, you're going to bring these babies home. Or, mm. you know, I walk in every morning and I would go to rounds with the doctors and they would give these diagnoses for the day and adjust their medications and make it sort of this individualized plan for each of those boys. But it really depended on the day. And so we just never knew how um, how things were going to look for them. Mm. And thank- thankfully, there was a point where they were well enough to come home. And we, uh, we brought them home. One of them stayed on oxygen. Another one had another surgery right when he got home. But then two weeks after they were home from the hospital, they contracted respiratory oh, uh, no. virus, RSV. Yes. <gasps> and honestly, all we did was go to the doctor for weight checks. We didn't go anywhere else. We had a whole changing room in our home where we disinfected everything we would scrub our hands we wore masks and booties and gloves holding them for almost an entire year of their life yes yes it was a very intensive year of recovery but but those first 
couple weeks were insane because when we went back to the hospital, I thought, oh my gosh, we finally made it to four pounds and now I'm going to lose my babies. Like I was just beside myself how sick they got up at primaries. It was intense. Definitely not a fun experience. No, definitely not. And I'm sure there are people listening who are either in the NICU right now or have been through this process and they are nodding going, I get that. I get that. And, And unless you've been in that situation, it's hard to really be able to identify. But Oh, I have such, oh, my heart goes out to you and all the moms that face the NICU. How did you get through those hardest days? Like you said, it was literally touch and go day by day. How did you even get through that time? Oh, that's a good question. And um, the best answer I can give you is a support group. Mm. There were some incredible survivor moms. So at the hospital my boys were at, between 6 and 7 p.m., they would close the NICU, and the only room that would be open was the mom support room. Oh. And so I would go there, I mean, disheveled, right? We're, we all just like we're, look like we're drowning in yeah. life. Yeah. I don't remember eating. I don't remember sleeping for four months. I don't remember anything that happened outside the hospital. I remember one day driving home from the hospital and seeing people bring their Christmas trees to the curb, and I thought, Christmas happened? Like, when did (laughs) that happen? Yeah. You know, it's just like I was just surviving. And so these moms in this support group and my sweet little neighborhood friends, I had four, um, and they still are very, very dear friends of mine that we just all connected. In some way, we all went through a travesty together Mm -hmm. during the time we lived by each other. And they're a godsend, absolute godsend. Yeah. So what are some of the things that they did or said during that time that was especially helpful? Because as somebody who hasn't been through it, I don't really know exactly what those needs look like. So what could I do? Yeah. Yeah. So listening was the biggest thing, right? They would come over real late. Uh, sometimes once or twice a week, we'd just get together and they'd stay in my basement and we'd all just cry together. They would Mm. listen to me and we would all cry. And then throughout the week, they would do the kindest things. They would leave like a silly magazine on my porch, like a people magazine of the bachelor because we were all (laughs) into the bachelor (laughs) or, you know, they would leave like little sweet tooth fairy treats and, uh, text messages, you know, just being present and knowing that someone was, was, aware of me and that they understood to a certain degree our pain Mm, I love that yeah just feeling like I mean it must feel like life is just going on for everybody else but your life is standing still so like you said the Christmas tree is going out at the curb it's like how could everyone just keep living while I'm stuck here and fighting my kids are fighting for their lives so just acknowledging that your life is not completely immune from your friends' challenges and recognizing that. I can see how that would be helpful. Yeah. So then you bring them home, and that first year had to be so very challenging. And just the the uh, immune system and just all of those complications had to be incredibly stressful. When did things start to ease up a little bit, or when did you start to have a clearer path of – what you needed to do and what your new normal was going to look like. Yeah, exactly. That's the perfect way to describe it. A new normal, mm-hmm. our AT after twins, yeah, after right? AT, so exactly. we bring them home from the hospital and it was like overnight our life had to change. Yeah. We immediately saw, especially when they were still in the NICU, we saw real issues with their digestive system. So I was already starting to implement a whole lot of changes before we even brought them home. Okay. And, um, 
with with preemies, especially with how preemie they were, they needed to have uh, mother's milk, right? They needed to have either my breast milk or pa- human pasteurized milk, which you can purchase in the NICU. Mm. Especially within those first few three, four weeks of life, there was no way because on a tiny, tiny preemie like that, when you have formula, what happens is it, it causes a whole lot of havoc on the digestive system. So we had to purchase human pasteurized milk before my milk came in. And thank goodness it did, honestly, because for I know for a lot of women, they have to continue to pay for that wow. milk until their babies can digest the formula. Um, and so I knew from the very beginning that I had to change what I was eating in order for them to feel well, for them to heal. And mm. so I almost, it's like I dove head first into the, to the deep end of holistic health and healing because I had to know what was going to keep them alive and thriving. Like that was my thing was like, no longer was I teaching high school and cheer and history my passion. It was like, oh, okay, starting today, my life is going to be all about how I can care for these babies and care for their little bodies appropriately. You're amazing. So, You're, you had to become a nurse. You had to become yeah, a holistic health practitioner. Yes. Like you were, you were getting a new degree. Yep. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Yeah. It was like, Honestly, it was like I was uh, learning the vernacular of the hospital and and sort of all the language that they speak and all of that. It, it felt like I could write a book by the end of the, the four months, sure. right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so when when I got got really deep into that, I really focused a lot on food in the beginning. So having uh, nutrition be the biggest source of healing and being really intentional about our food choices and about specifically what I put in my body and avoiding the things that would make my stomach upset too. So that, because normally I'm, I was always allergic to dairy, but I would put up with some of those symptoms. Like Mm. I would sneak butter in my diet or eat something that was cooked from somewhere else that I didn't know what was in it because I thought, Oh, it's fine. But when I had these babies, I knew I had to eliminate the things that would cause me aches Mm. because surely it would cause them problems as well. So, so I did, I, I used food as healing and then very slowly, but surely we also incorporated some other um, alternative ways of care and alternative health care, and that was through using essential oils. Um, we have some really simple and basic things that we use in our home on a daily basis that have transformed how we feel and the lifestyle of my boys. Wow. One of them suffers with something called uh, neutropenia. It's it's a blood disorder and. Essentially, what happens is even though it's transient and it comes and goes, at any moment, if he it comes in contact with some sort of airborne pathogen or gets sick in some way, it could cause him to go into the hospital and he would have to you know, get some sort of blood transfusion or things like that. And so what what's really powerful about incorporating healing through food and supplements and some of these essential oils that we use is that they can boost the immune system through different antioxidants in the body. And hmm. so when doctors told us that we would not be able to send our twins to school, like a regular school environment, because think about all the airborne pathogens oh, that are it's a mess. Yeah. warming the schools. <laughs> Right. Um, I was I was kind of I don't know if it's the Italian in me that was stubborn and was like, hey, I'm not going to accept this as the status quo. I was a public school teacher. My boys are going to public school or if it was just the fact that I, you know, my mama bear intuition kicked in. But I was like, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to 
figure this out. I was super, super skeptical in the beginning, but we've seen some incredible results. My boys have been in preschool for two full years. It's a special needs um, program, and they're honestly like, it's been incredible to see the results. That What a great empowering thing like you have very little control in the situation but to feel like you were able to do something that you did have control over that had to be really freeing yeah absolutely we made a plan basically and we've stuck to it I don't have like any you know magic in my home we just our bodies are really what's magic right and we're just using some natural things from the earth to help our bodies work even more effectively I love that so much and now you have a business around essential oils right I do. I do. I actually have a a whole health and wellness business. It's called Holistic Wife, Happy Life. And uh, my website, my new website is launching January 1st. So when this comes out, I'm really excited that everyone can can take a look at it and see the workshops that I do and the classes that I teach all around the continental U.S. and just the community that we've grown inside and outside of um, internationally and, and within the states it's been awesome amazing and who is it just for families of children with special needs or who are you aiming to help so my mission or my passion with empowering other people to use some some holistic remedies and think more intentionally about the foods that they're consuming is really for anyone who's open to change Mm. and there's a lot of people out there that think that it has to be like a mondo overnight shift in the home like it has to be you know I'm going to take every single thing in your kitchen and throw it out no that's not the case we go through a plan and yes I will look at labels and I'm a little bit of a label junkie I want to see what's in there what's processed and are you really supposed to be consuming this and let's look at what some of the side effects are of these things that you are taking Um, and then just kind of making little simple shifts along the way and not having it feel like it has to be uh, an all or nothing. Mm, I love that. It's so much more approachable that way. Cause yeah, I think when people are going through, you know, especially in January when this is coming out, it's like, okay, every package good out the window and you know, like swapping out all your makeup for toxin free. Like, so yes, it's good to go that way because obviously we know cognitively that is healthier for us. Natural is always better. But taking baby steps that's both financially, you know, feels better to our pocketbooks as well as just what's realistic and sustainable, those are the changes you want to make. Exactly. Yeah. Sustainability is key for sure. Yeah. And it's made such an impact in your home that is so fragile with your boys. And and even for those of you in your home that are less, you know, systemically fragile, we all have mm-hmm. needs and we all have, have things that we just, we want to be running at optimal you know, capacity and health and stuff. And it sounds like this has been a great way for you to achieve that for all of you. Yeah. And it's been really neat to just see, um, not only for myself, but for others, how we almost become healers in our home. We have this ability to gravitate or, or grab something off the shelf in our medicine cabinet that instead of sort of masking symptoms or putting a band-aid on it right Mm -hmm. we can really get to the root of the problem and that's where I feel like the world is starting to shift you can see it at different big universities and hospitals even my mom she's an RN at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles and they're doing some shifts there with um, using more holistic and integrative approaches there's so many different communities and institutions around the country and around the world that are starting to see that the status quo is not okay and Mm. we want to make more intentional and conscious choices that are looking at 
what the issues are internally and not just how can we fix this symptom. Right. And I think for people that are going down a path with a special needs child, sometimes they feel like there's only one way. Like, okay, if my child's diagnosed with autism, this is the path. Or if my child has sensory processing disorder, this is the path. But really, there's so many options now and there's so much knowledge. So just researching and talking to people, there's lots of ways to open up to new knowledge that could really benefit your family if you're just open to it. Like you said, are you open to change? Exactly. Yeah, so powerful. So Lena, we haven't even talked about, you've had a fourth child since then, and that's been your little <laughs> bonus baby. And people might think, well, gosh, you have so much going on. Your twins continue to really, um, you know, have some demanding needs and things like that that you're trying to address. How do you do it all? Do, people, do you hear that? How do you do it all? How are you able to um, do all this? You're so beautiful. Your family's gorgeous. How do you do it all? Oh my gosh. I'm well, not sure that I do it all. I well, think that. That's what people think. Uh, so what do you tell them? <laughs> Honestly, I tell them that I'm, I'm drowning all the time. Okay. I'm drowning in laundry and piles of dishes and poopy diapers and whatever else that's gross around the house with mm-hmm. four boys. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you really are stronger than you think you are. Mm. That you, as a person, I had no idea going into motherhood that it would ever turn out this way. Mm. I imagined a white picket fence and a little swing set in the backyard. Like, I just thought... Life's going to be grand. It's going to be great. It's going to be different than my childhood because I'm going to have more than one and I'm going to do it and, you know, more than sooner than 14 years apart. So they have these uh, memories together growing up. And I just imagined it to be something so different, but it turned out to be even better because with the challenges, life is more beautiful. Life is more precious. And we appreciate so much more of all the different experiences that we get to do and have together Mm. because we have gone through some tough times. How has motherhood changed you as a person, Lena? I am way more tolerant of my own imperfections as well as other people's imperfections. I love that. Yourself as well as others. That's a great answer. That's a great answer because sometimes we feel like we're just working on, you know, being better with other people, but really working on yourself and and how you talk to yourself. That goes a long way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Well, I just think you are – Oh my gosh, just an extraordinary mom. This conversation has blown me away. Your journey is so inspiring and just shows me that, like you said, motherhood and your life, it has not turned out exactly like the the picket fence version that you once pictured. But look at you go. Look what you're doing. Look how beautiful life is. And you can still appreciate the life you do have, even if it looks different. That's really powerful to me, Lena. So you're amazing. You're amazing. Oh, well, you're so sweet. I'm going to link to everywhere people can find you online, but will you just say your website one more time so people who might be interested can find out more about you? Yeah, I'm at holisticwifehappylife.com. That's perfect. And on Instagram, same handle, um, and that'll be linked over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com, like I said. Lena, this has been such a fun conversation. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, I would tell her that there will be dark days, but that you will grow and stretch in ways that you would have never imagined. And life will be beautiful just the way it is. Mm, I love it. Lena, thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your journey. Happy New Year to you. You're the best. Thanks, Jessica. You too. 
Isn't Lena so incredible? That was such an incredible conversation. She is so delightful. I love how she's been able to turn her challenges into a really profound self-awareness and she's been able to build from that in order to not repeat the same types of cycles that she experienced growing up but to really create a life that is is happy and thriving and stable for her kids and for her marriage it's incredible so it's just a great reminder to anybody listening who may have had less than ideal circumstances growing up if you faced a trauma in your life or a loss that does not have to dictate the trajectory of your life. You're able to create any version of your life that you want, even despite really challenging circumstances. And Lena is evidence to that. So thanks, Lena, for coming on the show. And you guys, Lena is so sweet. She just sent me some lavender essential oil with a really nice note saying, Lavender is my love language. <laughs> and I'm not an essential oil person. So this is going to be really fun to kind of experiment with that in my own home. She says it will bring some calm and some peace to my home. And goodness knows I need that in this new year. <laughs> Thanks, Lena. You're awesome. You can go to our show notes at extraordinarymomspodcast.com to see pictures of Lena and her beautiful family and links to anywhere you can follow her on Instagram or check out her essential oils business if that is of interest to you as well. You guys, this has been such a great start to the new year. I can't wait to bring you another episode next week with another extraordinary, extraordinary woman. You guys, it is so good. I'll tell you more about that on Friday's episode though. But for Friday, I'm having Dina Alexander on the show. Dina has put out several books now about talking about very sensitive, and I have sensitive in air quotes, topics with your kids, S-E-X. It's talking about that with your kids. It's talking about body image. It's talking about online safety and using that for good. She is a wealth of information. She is so passionate about this topic. And for parents that need to know about this stuff but don't know where to start, this is a great place to start. And this conversation with Dina just really empowered me, and I hope it will for you as well. So tune in on Friday for that. If you're new around here, make sure you're subscribed to the episodes on iTunes so you never miss a new episode. I also release some older episodes. I re-release them lately so that they're at the top of your archive list so that they're really easy to find. Those are some of my very, very favorites if you're trying to sift through figuring out which one should I listen to first. Hopefully that will help you. If you don't already do so, you can follow me on Instagram at jessicadalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. It is such a pleasure to bring you these shows every week. I am so, so excited for the lineup in this new year. If you or someone you know is somebody that is an extraordinary woman or mom who would be a great addition to our lineup in 2018, will you email me a little bit of your story or their story? You can do that at jessica at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. Thank you so much. Guys, I hope you have a great, great week, and we'll see you next Friday and on Tuesday for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.